Good evening and welcome to the May 2022 meeting of the San Francisco Animal Commission. My name is Michael Angelo Torres and I'm a commission chairperson. We are still holding our meetings remotely due to the ongoing COVID-19 health emergency and based on recommendations issued by our city and state governments regarding remote meetings. For those of you who are interested in how our commission works or serving on this commission, that information is on our website at sfgov.org forward slash animals. On our website, you also find the agendas, minutes, and supporting documents from our previous meetings, as well as audio and videos of past meetings that include presentations from community organizations such as Wildcare, NorCal Bats, Project Coyote, and the Golden Gate Audubon Society. A link to the video of last month's informative presentation on the Mother's Building with Department of Recreation and Parks, Brian Stuckel and Mural Pres Preservation, excuse me, advocate Richard Rothman can also be found on our website. Uh, the, acts, the link to it is on both our web, our homepage as well as our audio archives page. So please check out our website at sfgov.org forward slash animals. Please feel free to also follow our commission social media accounts. Links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages are located on our website's homepage and contact us page. Members of the public who wish to comment during the meeting can call 415-655-0003 and use access code 2468-599-7081. Please make your comments in accordance with the agenda. Commissioner Ozenoy, uh, since Commissioner Tobin is out tonight, could you please take roll from the list of names signed on to the meeting? Of course, Chair Torres. Present are Commissioners Fortier, uh, Osernoy, Torres, Dr. Van Horn. Um, also present are Dr. Sherry O'Neill from Animal Care and Control and Christopher Campbell from its Parks and Rec, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, officer, uh, the, the police officer is not present. Officer, whose name I forgot. <laughs> Joe Majeska. Right. Majeski. Joe Majeski is not present. Um, excused uh, for reasons of travel and illness are Commissioner Irani, Commissioner Chan, and um, Commissioner Tobin. Yes, thank you. Uh, since we have four commissioners, we have a quorum, so we can continue with the meeting. Okay, so thank you. Moving on to general public comment. Members of the public may address the commission uh, with comments on items within the commission's jurisdiction other than items that are on the agenda. As with previous meetings, I will be facilitating the public comment periods at tonight's meetings. Uh, members of the public who wish to make a comment should hit star three on their phone to be added to the speaker's queue. I will unmute your phone line when it is your turn to speak. When prompted, you will have two minutes to make a comment. Please be aware that after your two minutes have passed, your phone line will be muted again and I will go on to the next caller. Okay, I it see, looks like I we have, yeah, yeah, yeah we, have, uh, we have at least two uh, people on the line wanting to make a call. I wanted to make a comment, excuse me. Okay. Selva Granite. Uh, Selva Granite. At 1419 Bryan Street, taxpayers of San Francisco provided a brand new state-of-the-art $77 million facility for the purpose of housing lost and displaced animals. 
in search of their lost home or a new loving one. Instead of using this facility as it was intended, the administration at ACC has left countless cages empty, which makes their lives easier, and their statistics look falsely positive. By shirking the responsibilities of the care and control of animals clearly stated in their mission statement and code of ethics, San Francisco's animals are un underserved. It makes the lead vet and other administrators' lives easier by having animals turned away by staff, having them tell citizens that obviously docile, non-feral cats are better off on the street where they are in reality, fodder for traffic, as well as a food source for our local coyotes. It makes their lives easier to tell people to leave homeless mother cats and nursing kittens outside until the mother may end up pregnant again and valuable time needlessly gets taken up socializing older, more challenging kittens who would have naturally become tame through, kitten, through exposure to the foster volunteers providing their safe haven. Fabricated time restraint policies also provide excuses to needlessly dump cats outside or place them with rescue partners rather than adopt them out through ACC. At the end of April, I took pictures of an astonishing number of empty cages. I urged the commission to look into the number of cats in the shelter at this time versus their availability and ask about the resources available for cats in need. Making full use of the building and reverting back to successful programs in which huge numbers of cats were saved, given homes, reducing the impact on bird life would be less wasteful of taxpayer money and better for the animals. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. I'm going on to the next caller. Thank you. Hey, my name is Sean. Um, I'm just a just a normal person. I'm not a cat rescue. I just volunteer my time to help out my church and bring in stray cats that my community finds because they don't drive or you know people in the community just don't speak enough English to do want to do this. Um, I had a really crazy experience the last time I went in to drop off a stray nursing mom for one of my church members. Um, when I went to SFACC, and I've gone to SFACC to drop off cats before at 8 a.m., um, the gates were closed. I called. Um, employee told me that they don't take in cats at 8, 8 a.m. and told me to come back at 10, which is not true because I've done this before and I was standing in front of a sign that said 8 a.m. I got hung up on and I called again, got somebody else, had to get them to open up the gate for me. Um, once I got to the Stray and Austin Found Desk, um, without even looking at the cat that I had with me, the employee told me to go back and drop off the cat where I found it. And it confused me, and, that, and then they told me that I probably brought somebody's personal cat and that I should take it back. And I had to explain, I explained to them multiple times that this is a stray, it's a nursing mother, she's very sweet. And then when they said, oh, they told me that they don't take adult cats. And then they told me that the cat that I had was probably feral and I should probably take it to SPCA. Um, I guess in summary, uh, um, I had, I don't know what is going on at SFACC, 
But as a community member volunteering my time, I had to go into work. Um, I find it very disturbing of, I guess, the attitude and the negligence that I've seen lately. And it's so disturbing that I felt super compelled to make a comment. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Okay, I don't see any other uh, speakers in the queue. So we can close public comment and we'll move on to uh, agenda item number three, approval of draft minutes from the April 2022 meeting. Uh, the draft minutes document for our April meeting was distributed to commissioners earlier this week. And I believe everyone has had a chance to review them. Um, are there any questions, comments, or corrections to the minutes before voting to approve them? Okay, seeing none, uh, when I call your name, please state yes if you're in favor of approving the minutes or no if you're not in favor. Uh, Commissioner Fortier? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Ozernoy? Yes. Commissioner Van Horn? Yes. Okay, and I, I also approve the minutes, so minutes have been approved. Okay, uh, moving on to item number four, chairpersons and commissioner reports. Uh, commissioner reports regarding recent activity in the community involving animal issues that have been discussed by the commission in the past. Are there any reports to share? Okay, uh, seeing none, uh, um, we'll go on to uh, item number five, which is new business. Drossel, Urban Wildlife Rescue. Uh, joining us tonight is Leah Talcum Travis, director uh, she will present our, our, our organization's dedication to the rehabilitation of orphaned and injured wildlife and educating the public on living harmoniously with our urban wildlife. Um, we're very happy to welcome her tonight. Um, Commissioner Ozenoy, can you please go ahead and introduce this item? Yes, thank you so much, Chair Torres. It is my privilege and honor to introduce our speaker, um, Lila Travis, who was here from Yggdrasil Wildlife. Uh, urban Wildlife Rescue, which she founded in 1998, um, right here in San Francisco, uh, a hidden jewel um, that serves our both wild animals in distress and fields, calls at all hours of the day and night from people with questions, and in gen <laughs> and is just a wonderful um, organization that we are very, very excited to present to the public today. Thank you so much, Irina. Um, so I'm Lila, and I look forward to talking with you about Yggdrasil Urban Wildlife Rescue today. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen, if that's okay. Let's see if I can do this right. <laughs> All right. So, um, so I'm the co-founder and director of Yggdrasil Urban Wildlife Rescue. And um, we are a wildlife rehabilitation organization in partnership uh, and permitted by the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Um, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, and uh, our goal is to heal the sick and injured orphaned wildlife animals brought to us to ready them for release back into our urban wilds. And to educate people of all ages uh, in the wonder and enjoyment of wildlife and nature and why it is so vital that we protect it. 
And we, we hope that we also teach patience and compassion so that urban wildlife is viewed in a more positive light by everyone, not as pests, but as important cohabitators of our environment. So I was very tickled to be invited um, to present today, and I'm just going to go through a very quick history. Um, I was born and raised in San Francisco, uh, but in 1996, I actually moved to Oakland, and that was quite an experience because San Francisco is very urban. I grew up mostly in the sunset, and um, uh, when I moved to Oakland, I was suddenly surrounded by all these trees and, you know, amongst, there was space between the houses, right? In San Francisco, it's all very, very tight. <laughs> Um, and in 1998, uh, the concept of Yggdrasil wildlife was born because of uh, several events that, that took place um, in an opossum went catatonic on our porch. And my husband and I um, wanted to help. It turned out that she was a nursing mom and she was my first lesson in um, opossum uh, nursing fatigue, which is when they nurse out more nutrition than they're able to take in, uh, and they, they'll just collapse. So we ended up uh, taking her in and learning about what wildlife rehabilitation is. And uh, at the time, there were no wildlife centers in the direct immediate area where we lived. You had to drive, you know, to Walnut Creek or um, all the way down to, to Fremont. And uh, so the the spark was born uh, because of that opossum. We decided that we would try to start a wildlife center in the immediate Oakland, Berkeley, San Francisco, you know, Alameda area. Um, and then there were there were additional factors uh, that caused us to be um, excited to pursue this, which was that uh, we I've always enjoyed working with children and there was a housing project around the corner and the interest of the children as we nursed this mother opossum back to good health uh, while she raised her babies and then released them back into the wild was just very inspiring. So that was a big part. And then there was also the squirrel nest that fell. I had never had a close up uh, experience with squirrels, and that definitely was a life changer for me. So all of these factors um, led to the development of Yggdrasil Wildlife. We uh, started our process to get our, our permits with the California Department of Fish and Wildlife uh, in 2001 when Tom Belt was in charge. It took a long time because Tom re retired and we uh, apprenticed for several years with the Ohlone Wildlife Center and then finally you know, got our 501c3 paperwork together and became a nonprofit in 2004. Um, we had a third of an acre facility in the Oakland Hills, but we lost it in 2011. And that's what brought me back to San Francisco, um, which only reinforced and strengthened my relationship with the San Francisco Animal Care and Control. So we are still 100% volunteer run after 20 years. And we currently have 117 volunteers. And those volunteers uh, are, you know, ranging in transport volunteers, on-site volunteers, uh, people that come and build cages. It's, it's just wonderful. 
Uh, we partner with many animal control agencies around the San Francisco Bay Area, SFACC, um, Berkeley Animal Care Services, Oakland Animal Services, and Alameda, even Hayward, actually. You may, you may have noticed a, a few friendly faces here. <laughs> and other local agencies who have worked with us too. This is the Coast Guard from the island of Alameda and of course, Fairyland in Oakland. They, um, they worked with us for a while and some of their staff became wonderful foster care volunteers for many years. So, um, in 2011, we rehabilitated 292 animals from San Francisco County, which is nearly half of all the patients that came into our wildlife center. Um, just slightly beat out by Alameda County, which has a lot more cities in it. <laughs> um, and we're able to operate on a shoestring budget of around $50,000 annually because we're 100% volunteer run. So uh, our programs include emergency hotline response with our transport team and our rescue response team. Um, we, we do education through events. And uh, of course, our main program is wildlife rehabilitation. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that shortly. So our emergency response um, hotline is uh, saving animal lives while soothing citizens who have, uh, you know, I've gotten so many calls in the middle of the night. Oh, my God, I just saw a deer get hit by a car. What do I do? Um, so our, our goal is to calmly um, help people through those very difficult situations as well as debunking myths, which I can't think of one right now, but there are a lot of myths about wildlife. Um, so uh, the wildlife hotline, we will um, text people these wonderfully helpful um, images that can sort of guide them through. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just got a text from San Francisco Animal Care and Control uh, wanting to know if I would take an animal and I just told them yes. Okay, sorry about that. Um, so these are a couple examples of some of the um, sort of outline uh, texts that we'll send people to help them determine if it's right to get involved and to um, interfere. Uh, and usually it is, uh, but sometimes, sometimes it isn't, especially with baby deer. So we have this wonderful graphic that we send people. Our transport team is mostly in the East Bay because San Francisco Animal Care and Control is so wonderful um, covering, you know, transport. They have, they, you guys have a wonderful uh, transport team as well. Um, but uh, we move the animals from uh, people who find them in the field. We try to get them into care as quickly as possible, or if they're at um, the animal shelter in Oakland, for example, and need to get to Lindsay Wildlife, our team will actually do that. Um, I don't work with pelicans. Those guys go to the International Bird uh, Rescue, and that's all the way in Fairfield. So our team will actually drive up to Fairfield with pelicans, herons, all kinds of animals. And then, of course, several, many of them also come across the bridge to, to, uh, to my house or out into foster care. Um, here's a few examples of animals that we transfer out. We don't 
generally take birds. We do take hummingbirds because they um, require such high caloric uh, intake that they will often die just in transport. So years ago, we decided that they would be our one bird exception. So we transfer birds. This is a beautiful barn owl that went down to the Ohlone Wildlife Center. We don't take skunks, um, even though we love skunks. Um, or raccoons, mostly because we don't have a skunk or a raccoon team. Remember, we're 100% volunteer run. And in order to do the service, we have to have the manpower. And if we don't, then we can't. So um, at present, we don't have a raccoon team or a skunk team. Um, and then birds uh, like pigeons, we will transfer to wild care. And herons, of course, these guys, these are night herons. They go up to the International Bird Rescue. In Fairfield. And our response team, again, because uh, you guys do such a great job in San Francisco, we don't have to do this here. Um, but in, in the East Bay, um, they need help. And so we work with a lot of local agencies and citizen groups and uh, just general people who find the animals in distress and need help retrieving them. These photographs are of the famous night herons in Oakland that are living in a very urban environment and not adapting well to it. So there, there's constant need to um, help these birds. Um, this is a squirrel. This was an interesting call. I, I actually managed this call. These were two squirrels that um, somebody had found in their backyard, they're obviously starving. You can see by the pits um, in their fur. Um, they're, mm, I would say, maybe six, six to seven week old uh, baby fox squirrels. And the person was scared of them. So um, she, she couldn't get them in the box. Well, she, she get, got them in the box, but they got out. And then she was too scared to do anything about it. So she asked us to come out. And I'm, you know, the, our amazing response team was able to go out, pick up these squirrels, put them in the box, and uh, get them into care. Um, same was true with this little guy who was following people down the street because he was starving and, and was asking for help. Um, the same was true of these opossum situations. Um, this was a mom opossum that had been poisoned and... Um, so we had to have our rescue team go out and retrieve the mom and her babies so that they could have a, a chance. Um, this guy was hit by a car. Uh, people often will call it in, but are nervous about picking them up and putting them in boxes, understandably, although opossums are, are more, um, their, their defense mechanism is to scare you off versus actually attacking. So, um, so we had to have a, a, a response person go out and retrieve this opossum as well. Um, even when it means getting wet. So this is Juleni, and she's one of our rescue response people who was trying to help this beautiful Canadian goose that got a fishing line tangled around his feet at Lake Temescal. And we actually worked on this for weeks in partnership with Oakland Animal Services and some citizen groups, and we were unable to catch the goose. He did not want to be caught, and he ended up losing his foot. Um, and it, it was because his other foot was also imperiled that we really wanted to catch him, but he made a choice, and we couldn't do anything about it. 
Um, but we certainly tried for, I think it was close to a month. People went there every day to try to get him and his, and his uh, mate. So uh, varying degrees of success, but we're trying, right? <laughs> um, so we also do public education. And here's a few examples uh, over the years. We used to do a lot of classroom visits. That's me when I was a child. <laughs> no, that's probably like 20 years ago. Um, and uh, we would do these outdoor adventures for kids um, and also presentations at local nature centers around the San Francisco Bay Area. Of course, COVID really um, um, made that hard. So we pretty much stopped all of that for a while. Um, but we recently uh, started participating again in events and we have one coming up soon. Um, the, the California Center for Natural History is um, a collective of naturalists um, that do presentations uh, all around the San Francisco Bay Area. It was started by one of our interns many, many, many years ago, and we're proud to be uh, in any way associated with them. They are um, just starting up again after uh, the COVID shutdown. Um, and we recently started working with the UC Berkeley Cognitive Biology Lab um, to track some of our squirrels after release. So being able to, to participate in wildlife um, rehabilitation and see, be able to have definitive data to track the, um, you know, the, the outcomes is really exciting. And we're hoping to have a relationship with this um, biology lab for years to come. So um, we have an upcoming event in July, the Potrero Hill STEM Festival. We're gonna do that again. We did it last year. It was our first um, COVID uh, event. Um, so it's all outdoors and we felt that it was pretty safe. Uh, I believe, Irina, you were there uh, managing our tortoises and the children were, were brushing them with toothbrushes, which was really, everybody just loved feeding apples and brushing them with toothbrushes. It was a, it was great fun. Uh, so if you're around in July, please feel free to join us uh, over here on Petro Hill. So our third um, program is urban wildlife rehabilitation. So we have a foster to forest program. Essentially what that means is foster care of orphaned baby wildlife. We uh, raise them to be released back into the wild, but there's a process, right? So when they're little babies and they're having to be nursed every few hours um, or kept indoors in an enclosure, like a cage, um, then, they're in our foster care program. And again, this is an all volunteer program that I train people um, how to uh, do properly in accordance with the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. And it's, it can be incredibly rewarding. It's a lot of work, um, but it's, it's really great. Uh, and ultimately, uh, the goal is to release them back into the wild which is uh, what we call our rewild program. Uh, here's an opossum that we um, raised and uh, he's being released at Sossel Creek, beautiful spot. Um, 
that was a really beautiful release. So uh, we do work with more than squirrels. A lot of people think we only work with squirrels. And actually, for many years before we returned to San Francisco in 2011, um, we only took the squirrels from SFACC because um, there were other organizations that were handling other animals. Um, but we actually work with more than just squirrels, although squirrels are my personal um, pride and, and joy. I just love squirrels. They're amazing. And I could go on and on about the wonders of squirrels and how they're not just rats with fluffy tails, um, but I also love rats. So anyways, uh, squirrels. We also work with opossums. That's Petunia, our wonderful surrogate mom. She's blind, but she raises and comforts uh, orphaned babies. She will groom them and let them go into her pouch, and she keeps them safe, but she doesn't nurse. Uh, she does everything but nurse. It's a good psychological comfort to the orphans when they come in. Like these guys. We also get in mommies. And the amazing thing about opossums is they never hesitate to adopt babies. So when I have a nursing mom, she will happily adopt, you know, 10 more babies. <laughs> but as you can see, it can be a little much for her. I also, as I said earlier, we take hummingbirds. And we've we've had a banner year for hummingbirds this year. There's just been so many. And fawns. We're one of the only fawn rescue groups um, in this area. Um, we partner with other fawn rescue, fawn-specific uh, rescues um, so that these deer get back into the wild um, with the least amount of habituation possible. And miscellaneous rodents. <laughs> and reptiles and amphibians. Now you may notice that some of these are actually not wildlife. A lot of people don't know the difference um, when they're walking down the street and they find a bearded dragon on the ground. Uh, we had an incident where um, a bearded dragon had a double amputation, was injured, and somebody found her in a park and they didn't know what to do. They thought this was a wild animal, so they, they brought them to our center and, and we ended up uh, caring for that bearded dragon for many years. Um, this is uh, Apollo. He's our California desert tortoise. He's 72 years old. And these guys are actually native California salamanders. We do get quite a number of them, as well as the Pacific tree frogs, which are also native, um, although not usually found in San Francisco. So over the years, there have been many newsworthy collaborations between Yggdrasil Urban Wildlife Rescue and uh, San Francisco Animal Care and Control or San Francisco Police. Uh, in general, this was many, I think this was in 2019. Uh, this was one of the many marmots that um, accidentally get transported to San Francisco <clears throat> that ended up staying with us uh, until we were able to get 
um, this, this is Aspen and he was an amazing transport volunteer who drove this guy up to the Lake Tahoe Wildlife Center so that um, this marmot could be released back into the wild. So that was pretty wonderful, Officer Burke. And then of course there was the recent, uh, I think there were multiple hawks found in the tenderloin um, that uh, the SFPD in this case brought to me in the middle of the night. And it turned out to be a girl, um, juvenile uh, red-tailed hawk. And we transferred her to the Peninsula Humane Society because they have amazing rooftop aviaries. So, and then of course, uh, the, the, the most recent one, which you may or may not have heard of was uh, not fox in socks, but fox in pipe. So I thought I would spend a little bit of time talking about this one since everybody, um, it was such a wonderful um, resolution. So on Saturday morning, I got a text uh, from a security officer uh, who is working at the Mission Rock Project construction site about a fox that was stuck in a pipe. And from the picture, you know, you can't really tell that this is a baby fox. Um, but I, I, I referred them to San Francisco Animal Care and Control uh, because it's the, the kind of rescue. It was, it was very clear that um, it wasn't something that I personally was gonna be able to, to do and that it probably was gonna need quite a lot of collaboration. So, um, so I asked them to, to call it in to dispatch and they did. And this is the fox. Oh, thanks, Devon. The uh, squirrel just arrived from animal control. <laughs> um, so this was the fox. And it turns out that the fire department came in. Officer Megan Clark was the responding animal control um, officer who called in the fire department because she pretty much figured out right away that the pipes were going to need to be cut. Um, so here's this really amazing photo of them cutting the pipe. This gentleman is holding a towel over the fox um, so that she isn't stressed or as least stressed as possible. Um, and this is Officer Clark with the baby. And uh, Dr. O'Neill took this photo. Very dirty. Um, we had to do multiple baths to get her clean. Um, it wasn't just the oil, there was just an ungodly amount of um, metal dust, uh, just all kinds of horrible stuff in her fur. Um, so eventually after she got bathed, um, she, we dried her off and she was very, uh, very much a kitten, you know, what do they call fox kits? Um, we gave her her first meal of the, of the day, if it plays. It may not play. There we go. And that she really liked that. That's just a um, a recovery, a Royal Canine recovery diet for animals that have been um, uh, suffering from 
emaciation and dehydration as she was. And Dr. O'Neill had given her um, fluids at the hospital. Let's see, how do I advance? She had a bunch of wounds, um, superficial cuts and scrapes. Um, she had uh, quite an abrasion around her shoulder area, ne lower neck shoulder area, um, but again, mostly superficial. I hope you guys can hear that. So after her meal, she became very feisty, which we like to see that. So I've talked a lot about um, when she was with us, but what hasn't been announced yet is that yesterday we transferred her uh, out of our wildlife center because we are in San Francisco and we <laughs> we have a very tiny space. We don't have a facility that's suitable uh, at this time uh, to rehabilitate foxes. She needed she needs a lot more space than we can provide. So we uh, we did find I, I don't know if I talked about this, but I heard back from the company um the construction company the pipe had been uh in a storage yard in newark california and it had been transported to that construction site so we actually believe that this fox was accidentally transported in the pipe from newark california and um trapped in the pipe on the construction site in san francisco and that's why she tried to get out through that tiny little hole um and got stuck uh, but it turns out uh, the company gave me the address of the storage yard, and I worked with the director of the Ohlone Wildlife Center, who's in in Newark, um, and they're very close by to that initial storage yard area, and the director actually knows um, the colonies of foxes that are in that area. So uh, when our sweet little girl here is able to be released back into the wild. She's going to be released back into her original colony, which is just amazing considering everything she went through. So as of right now, she is enjoying uh, one of the smaller enclosures at the Ohlone Wildlife Center that's designed for foxes. Um, and uh, she's very curious and excited to have her own space. She's uh, thoroughly exploring. There's a lot more cover in it than it showed in those pictures. So there are lots of hiding places for her to feel comfortable. But so that's the update on our fox. And um, uh, thank you so much. And that so that's Yggdrasil Urban Wildlife Rescue. Do you have any questions for me? Thank you so much, Leah. That was a wonderful uh, presentation, very inspiring and, and just beautiful. And again, the images were wonderful and just, well, it was just really amazing. Um, I'll open it up for uh, questions from the commissioners and then afterwards we'll open up public comments. But I did have one question. Um, 
what you were saying, and, it, and it's so true as far as um, I know a lot of a lot of people in urban areas, when they tend to think of wildlife, they tend to not think about urban wildlife. Uh, they tend to think of wildlife as, as being something that 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 lives someplace else. Um, and of course, the examples of urban wildlife that, that you could possibly uh, tell them about to let them know that, yes, we do have wildlife here are sadly seen as pests many times. Uh, my question to you is, I know you have the partnership with um, with uh, Department of Animal uh, Care and Control. Um, what kind of things, you know, you also being in San Francisco, what kind of things could the city do more to help your organization as well as just help wildlife in, in general? Do you have any, I mean, I just kind of want to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, um, it's hard because, you know, urban centers are very human centric. We don't really think about the fact that we have always shared um, this, you know, city with, with, uh, with animals. Um, and it's interesting as the population pressure and the homeless problem has increased, um, the park district has been uh, trimming bushes so that there's no cover because they, that's a, what they see as a solution to the homeless problem. If you don't want someone sleeping in a bush, cut the bush up, you know, but what that does is it takes away the cover that our wildlife animals need in order to be comfortable. So that's when you get coyotes ranging out into the city because they can't find cover. Um, but I don't really have a solution for that because it's such a bigger problem. It's more of like it's it's far reaching into socio-political stuff that is way over my head. Um, but I do tell people, you know, don't over groom your garden. Um, keep the blackberry, blam blah, blackberry brambles. <laughs> that was a tongue twister. Um, you know, just stuff like that to try to make the places inviting. And then you, you if you're gonna feed the birds, and you don't want to feed the rats, bring the bird feeder in at, at night so that you don't encourage the, the native rat population that has always lived in human dwellings. Um, so, you know, there are, there are all kinds of creative solutions that people can do to enjoy wildlife. Um, one being, please don't use glue traps. Glue traps are a big one. Uh, I just, ugh, just the other day, I, I don't want to show you the picture uh, because it's it's too awful, but this beautiful juvenile scrub jay got in a glue trap and the person couldn't get them off. Um, so it's, you know, we we have to think of solutions that are cooperative and not destructive because those aren't really solutions. Um, so that's kind of a long-winded roundabout answer, but uh, that's why we exist. We, we like to talk about this stuff and we like to try to brainstorm ideas of how to solve wildlife conflicts and um, cooperation with wildlife in our city. Would you say the perceptions of wildlife, um, urban wildlife in San Francisco has gotten better or worse? Um, that's even a fair question to ask. I just kind of want to get your idea. Yeah. Um, no, it's interesting. Um, 
I would have to say both, which again is a non-answer, sorry. But like over the course of, of COVID, when we all shut down, people stopped going to work, but they didn't stay inside. They went out to local parks and they got to inter, inter, uh, interact with wildlife a lot more. And that's why we had so many more animals coming in. Um, but there was this, this pulling back of human society that allowed urban wildlife to kind of stretch outward and there was so much news coverage about that, that it became um, more sort of, what is the term? It became more of a household knowledge. Um, so people are less freaked out by wildlife than they were before COVID, I think. Um, but there's always going to be, you know, people who don't like wildlife and see them as trespassing on their human environs. I mean, I get so many, <laughs> I get so many calls, genuine calls for help from people. Like, like there's this bird that sits outside my window every night and sings all night. How do I get rid of it? <laughs> it's like, oh, send it to my house, please. <laughs> I say, that sounds like a gift more than uh, yeah. a but you know that's the thing about perspective right it, one man's gift is is another man's purse right i mean i have one more question before i open it up to the other um commissioners um you were talking about volunteers and um such as the foster to forest program um could you just let us know of some of the volunteer opportunities or what you know, just some of the things that volunteers do, um, just so people are aware of it. So, absolutely, I totally should have included that. Sorry. Um, you can actually go on our website and uh, click on volunteer, and it lists off what everything is. Um, but off the top of my head, we have uh, transport volunteering, um, rescue and response um, volunteering, um, on-site. Uh, volunteers, which are the, the people that actually come here to our San Francisco location and uh, essentially clean poop and prepare meals for wildlife animals that are our current patients, you know. Um, so uh, what else is there? There's the build team, which are people that will go off and put cages up in other people's backyards if they've joined our foster program. We have two foster programs. We have infant foster care for babies that need to be nursed. And then we have uh, the rewild program, which is when somebody has a backyard and they're able to, to put up an enclosure um, for animals to live in for one to two months while they adapt to being outside and um, get ready to go back out into the wild. You know, squirrels, they need to practice jumping and nest making and hiding food and finding it again. They have to, lots of practice before they can be released. Um, they would normally learn it from their mom, but if they're orphans, then, then it's our job. Um, so those are, that's pretty much the overview of our volunteer opportunities. Am I forgetting any? Probably, um, but you can check it out on our website for sure. And actually, I'm sorry, that brought up one last question. Um, Concerning, um, you just mentioned about, you know, the build um, volunteers, those that go 
and uh, build when people have backyards. Um, a lot of us in the city do not have backyards. We don't even have front yards. We don't have any yards. Um, yeah. Is there any way that that people like you know in that kind of situation can assist with any kind of fostering? Or I mean, there's obviously there's other ways in which to volunteer, but it, 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 is there something that that they can do as far as like fostering? Are there animals that they can help with? Absolutely. Um, somebody who doesn't have a backyard, I encourage them to be uh, infant foster care volunteers, um, which is bottle feeding. But if that doesn't work out because it is time intensive, um, they can still volunteer on the rewild team if they have friends that have suitable backyards or they know people, you know, in the San Francisco Bay Area who would be interested and they you know, would, can commit to collaborating with those people or even just going out and scouting out new release locations when you're hiking. Oh, this would be a great spot for opossums, you know, something like that. Um, there's all kinds of we're we're very um, because we're all volunteer uh, run. We're very adaptive and open to anybody's ideas about um, how they can get involved. And then I didn't even talk about social media volunteering grant writing, which is non-existent. <laughs> um, you know, there's all kinds of administrative, wonderful things that have to also happen in order to make all these other programs um, take place. So. Very true. Well, thank you so much. Uh, do any commissioners have any questions or comments or anything to add to the discussion? Okay, uh, doesn't look like, okay, seeing none, uh, let's open it up for public comments. Oh, oh, Sherry, Sherry had one. Oh. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't I use apologize. the fancy hand raising thing. I just waved at you, but I realized I might be okay. on your camera. I, I just apologize. wanted to say I really enjoyed the presentation. I can't say enough nice things about Lila and how responsive she is and how helpful she is um, to all my weirdo questions and sending photos and what do I do with this? And <laughs> please, can you help us with this? Um, I, I it's a great relationship and I'm so glad to have her as part of our team. Um, just uh, to be official, I personally did not take that photo. That was technician. Angie took that photo and gave the fluid. So props to her for the little fox. Thank you, um, Angie. But yeah, I was uh, really uh, stuck about what we were going to do with that. So I'm really glad um, I was able to take her and just to follow up on how to volunteer. Um, I mean, transport is a huge thing um, that is super, super helpful for people that um, can do transport. I mean, we've got um, birds that need to go to um, Peninsula Humane and to wild care, and um, we've lost a lot of our transport team. And we kind of have a little group of volunteers um, that we could call on. But I think with um, gas prices being what they are, a lot of people are more hesitant to drive and um, it's anyway, it's been a problem for us. I don't know if Lila has the same problem, but transport would be um, always appreciated um, whenever that's possible. So just yeah, we're we're definitely having that problem as well. I've noticed yeah. um, also as things have opened up and people are going back to work, they don't have the time yeah. to respond. And it's it's really heartbreaking. I'll get these calls from little old ladies that found an injured animal and they don't drive and they're elderly and they can't get it into a box themselves and they don't know what to do. And, you know, it's like in 
Brentwood. I can't drive myself to Brentwood with 75 animals that I'm taking care of. So it's it's the transport teams are so hugely important. And I see at least a couple of them in your attendee list uh, right now myself. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much. And, uh, and let's talk more, um, Sherry, about uh, the transport so that maybe we can collaborate a little more closely on that as well. And I appreciate our relationship as well. It's always uh, delightful getting your weird questions, which are not weird. <laughs> you Great, thank you, Dr. O'Neill, as well. Okay, um, seeing no other uh, comments or questions from the commissioners, um, I will go ahead and open it up for public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a comment should hit star three on their phone to be added to the speaker's queue. Um, let's see if I see anyone. Okay, I see one person. I'm not too sure if this is someone from the previous uh, previous comment, but I'm gonna go ahead and mute you. Okay, you can make your comment. Is anyone there? Okay, it might have been someone from the I recognize the number from a previous, so we'll go ahead and mute that line again and then we'll close public comment. I actually see another another hand up. Oh, you do? Okay, mm -hmm. let me I apologize for that. Let me go quit again. Thank you, uh Commissioner. Was there noise? Okay, great. I do. I apologize for that. Okay, I'm going to unmute you. Oh, hi. Um, my name is Michaela. This is my first meeting, so apologies if I'm not doing this correctly. Um, but I actually had just uh, a question on um, the presentation, actually. So um, have there ever been like successful um, like cases of integrating like um, Okay, let me backpedal, sorry. Uh, so there's this really great organization called Wildlife SOS that um, has successfully eliminated dancing bears completely in India. And they did this by um, working with the nomadic people that were using uh, and abusing the dancing bears and like teaching them trades and stuff like that and to actually benefit society. Have there been any like successful programs anyone's aware of or um, steps to like perhaps help um like people who are you know not uh who are homeless or are struggling in some way and like actually having them somehow help these like wildlife initiatives i don't know if this is like the right format for this so apologies again it's a wonderful idea um i i don't know if there are any programs at this time in california um Doing that, I know that there are um, programs to help horses and dogs, um, uh, which is a, a way for uh, people um, to sort of get back on track, humans. Um, but I don't think there's anything wildlife related like that, but it's a great idea. And if that's something that you want to take on, I give me a call and let's talk because that's I'm open to uh, 
like I said, we're a scrappy all volunteer organization and we're always open to exciting new ways to make the world a better place. Awesome. I'll probably reach out to you. Please do. Thank you, Michaela. Thank you for your, your call. Okay, I uh, let me just double check again. As I mentioned, the little icons I'm seeing are a little hard to read sometimes. So I apologize for almost missing that call. Thank you again, Commissioner Ozenoy. It looks like we have no more callers. Um, so I'll go ahead and close public um, comment for this agenda item. And again, thank you so much, Laya, for being here with us. Um, as I mentioned before, your work is so inspiring and we really appreciate all you do for the community. Uh, so again, thank you for sharing your evening with us tonight. Thank you. It's a huge collaborative effort and I'm very grateful to everybody that we work with and all of our volunteers. Great. And yes, and thank you to your volunteers um, who, who joined us tonight as well. We really appreciate everything that you all do. Thank you. Okay, uh, so moving on to old business agenda item number six, reporting from animal care and control. Um, Animal Care and Control will report regarding outcomes for animals and ongoing operations and present the January to March 2022 quarterly report. Uh, Dr. O'Neill, please go ahead when you're ready. Okay, thank you. Um, I think everybody got the quarterly report early because um, our analyst was like super on top of it this quarter. So um, I will start with what's at the shelter now. This was actually yesterday. I wasn't um, in the shelter today. Um, but we had um, six animals in the wildlife room. I believe most of those were juvenile birds that um, were transferred to PHS. Um, we had 21 cats on site, 56 dogs on site. We're kind of high on dogs recently. And then um, still that uh, 32 other. So we still got plenty of smalls. We had one turtle and there's a handful of mice and the two rats. I think that was it in that room. So total on site 115. And then off site in Foster, we have one bird, which is still Officer Pone's chicken, um, 115 cats and kittens, um, one dog and seven others, which are the bunnies I mentioned earlier and some other um, smallies. Um, so total in care is 239. Um, so we've got a little uptick in the dogs, but um, I mean, with the cat situation, we're getting a lot of um, kittens, obviously moms with kittens and that group that's out there of that 115, I anticipate everyone's gonna be at weight and coming back in the next probably three weeks. So um, we'll see them coming back from foster. Things will start to pick up in that department. And then for the quarterly report, um, we had, um, total intake of 1867 um, a lot more from the field this time around you can see that the other it's the wildlife uptick um, and that number that's coming in um, usually our uh, intake is about split 50 50 field and over the counter but this time it was a little bit skewed um, and we've talked about before um, we're still getting um, the distemper skunks and raccoons um, coming in periodically um, so as far as other intake, we had 160 custody animals, um, 34 owner requests euthanasias, 
331 surrenders, 473 strays, um, two that transferred in um, that I believe just came in for um, spay neuter services and went back out, and then 462 wildlife. So that's where that number comes from. Um, and then outcomes, we had 186 adoptions, dogs, cats, and others, um, 91 cats, which is great. Um, we had, let's see, two went missing, um, and there were some little rats that uh, kind of escaped <clears throat> in the vet room and um, are somewhere. So they're, they're missing in action. You can talk to Angie about that, Lila. Um, 477 partner transfers, um, 283 redeemed, and 45 released, a lot of those being um, the others as well. So total outcomes of the 1840. And then let's see, details. Um, yeah, so 147 was the high point for foster homes during those quarters, mostly cats, 112 cats. 22 dogs and 13 others, which again, rabbits, pigs, and chickens. Um, and we're expecting some of those to come back. Um, Animal Control had 3,009 emergency calls, which is kind of high. I feel like they do get a lot of wildlife calls as well. They probably field some of those questions about nuisance calls like Lila does too. Um, and we had one cat that we held um, temporarily that went over to um, SPCA Community Cat Program. And then as far as partner transfers, um, 116 cats transferred, 198 dogs, and 163 others. Um, and you've got the breakdown there. 41 wild birds went to PHS. Um, and then um, for the euthanasia numbers, most of those euthanized for medical conditions. And you've got the breakdown there. And again, you know, a lot of skunks um, in that list. And um, we had a lot of bats come through too, and I believe a couple of them were rabies positive. So public health has dealt with that, but there weren't any concerning exposures, which is great. Um, we usually don't see that many in one quarter. So it's a little bit unusual. And that is the quarterly report. Um, I can answer any questions. Thank you, Dr. O'Neill, for getting the yeah. report, and especially for getting it to us so early. Um, even though you gave it to me early, I just barely distributed and updated, uploaded it um, this week. So, <laughs> so I just wanted to make that point of reference since you had mentioned it earlier. But um, as we usually ask, I was wondering if you can give us an update, or is there any change as far as hiring or any kind of updates? Hiring. Um, hiring continues to slowly, slowly move forward. There's two shelter service rep positions that are moving forward that are um, civil service positions, and I believe they are making final selections this week. Um, the animal care attendant openings are moving forward. I th think what is happening because it's very close to the end of fiscal year, and that makes things difficult to get moving um, with the city for these couple of months but when it gets on to June and July, the transition. Also, HR is really short staffed, so we basically have one person that is trying to um, post and manage some of these. So most of the other open positions are going to be hired as um, temporary exempt or TEX positions. Um, and then eventually when HR catches up, we'll kind of turn into those permanent positions. So animal control um, officers, I think we've got one trainee that was relatively new. 
that's been on for a few weeks now. Um, so I think they're nearing the end of their screening process. And then the animal um, care attendants had, I think they had 51 applicants for the spot. So they're kind of doing um, screening for um, like doing a phone call interview just to kind of screen. And then they're gonna start interviews next week or the week after um, in person. So that's moving forward as well. You know, as far as, you know, will we have new staff soon for summer? Hard to say. Um, the temporary positions tend to move a little faster. It's a little bit easier to kind of get those through. But like I say, we kind of have a backup in HR and things have been moving slowly, as you know, for some time. Um, so that's kind of what I know about hiring. Thank you. Thank you for that yeah. update. Um, Commissioner Ozenoy, do you have a question? Uh, Dr. O'Neill, what does yes. um, ORPTS stand for on the on the report? It stands for owner request put to sleep. I don't really like the put to sleep thing, but um, or also it will be ORE, owner request euthanasia. So when it's, you know, someone has one of those cases, they usually, I mean, they are scheduled by appointment, so we're usually aware of them. Um, but when they page overhead in the shelter, if you hear that, they'll say we have an ORE, kind of just a code name so that we don't really have the public understanding what that means. And are those usually just, you know, they they can't afford to go to a, a regular vet or? Um, it's a variety of things. I mean, in that situation, the agreement is, you know, the animal is kind of, you know, surrendered at that point. And the own, you know, that's what the owner's wishes are. Um, but we still go through the same evaluation process. I mean, 99% of those are medical issues and they, you know, are warranted. You know, the owner's making the right decision in that case. You know, a lot of, you know, 20 year old cats and chronic problems and all those kinds of things. Um, so we, I, I don't usually reverse those decisions because I feel like they are generally pretty legitimate concerns, um, but we always can um, defer that decision or maybe we need more information or, you know, we don't have enough information to make that um, determination. And then we'll go through this process like we would do with any other animal as far as evaluating. Very rarely do we get, um, a request that's due for behavior, a behavior reason, um, but the behavior team, um, you know, goes goes through all the background and does an eval before any of those decisions are made. So it's it's not um, necessarily decided in that moment. Um, it's just kind of um, owner determined at that point um, as the reason why they're they're coming in. Thank you. Yep. Uh, Commissioner Ortiz. Um, I apologize. I couldn't find the hand up button. It feels like I have to learn this problem every single time. I don't know why. So thank you for for recognizing me. Um, I see that there were. It looks like there were three um, euthanasias from the vicious and dangerous dog unit, which seems high to me. And maybe this isn't a question that you could answer. But does it seem that there are is 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 there a higher volume of cases at vicious and dangerous dog or? Are they just moving through it or can you speak to anything that's happening there or should we just talk to um, officer Majeski about that? Um, I think they're slow going. So I think what happened was um, we finally just got decisions back. 
So it's not like there's a bunch of new cases. Uh, most of the ones that I'm aware of have been there for some time and are finally have resolved. Um, so that's kind of what, I mean, we have a number of investigation cases going right now that have really kind of drug along. Um, some animals have been there um, many months, plural. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, it's the, the legal aspect and appeals and things like that, that we're um, waiting on decisions. So I think it was just a wave of decisions that finally came um, during that quarter. Yeah. So the wheels of justice continue to turn along. Slowly, slowly turn. Yes. Thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you. Let's see. Is there any other questions from commissioners? Okay. Uh, seeing none, I will open it up for um, public comment. Okay, uh, let's see. It looks like there's a couple hands. Um, let me start here. Wait a minute. Hi, are you, do you, are you, is this hand from a previous uh, agenda item or do you want to make a comment on this? Okay, I don't think anyone's there. So I think that that's from a hand from a previous, okay. Okay, we have one more caller. Hello, you can make your comment. I, I don't, I've, I've been trying to get through for a little while. Sorry, I'm calling because I have been a long time pet owner. I'm 45 and there's pictures of me as a toddler running around with cats. And I've had cats go missing on me and luckily I've found them. But I had, uh, experience where I came down to the ACC to bring in a cat that I found sitting in the middle of the street and they were like, no, take it back. And I was, I know absolutely not. This cat is looking kind of rough and he's been he's sitting in the middle of the street. And they're like, oh, well, his owner will find him. And my response to that was the owner will find him dead because he was sitting in the middle of the street. He obviously has no street smart. And they were like, well, you can, I'm like, I'm not leaving with him. And I was, I mean, it's, I brought cats there before and I was very surprised that they were turning them away. And I said, I'd put up flyers, which I did, but you know, if somebody's gonna be a pet owner there, my first thing is to go look APC, SPCA, call around and see if anybody's got my cash. Mm -hmm. Uh, thank you very much for your comments. Okay, let me see if there's any other callers. I think we have one more. You can make your comments. Hi there, uh, my name's Alina. So first of all, I just wanna say what a great presentation from Lila. I'm so glad I got to hear her, fantastic. Um, but the reason I'm calling today is because two meetings ago, I brought up my experience finding a lost cat dodging traffic and I was refused even a chip scan from ACC. So I've been an SPCA volunteer for two years now and I have TNR'd over 200 cats through feral programs. In my volunteer work, I'm super visible in the community and therefore encounter lots of people and animals looking for help. Uh, I can say from extensive experience that there are a lot of lost, abandoned, dumped cats in our city, as well as lots of people desperately trying to help them who feel like they have nowhere to turn. 
In the past, I've had a lot of success with ACC with friendly cats I found during my feral work and have helped them rescue now 61 cats. A large percentage of these were kittens dumped in a dumping site near my house and also at my house. As far as I've heard, none of these cats were found to be owned. Almost all were unfixed and all were successfully adopted or transferred to a partner organization within the month, if not the week. So it's incredibly disheartening to hear that ACC is now using the excuse of free roaming owned cats to reject cats in need, especially when unfixed cats released outside directly contribute to the already huge overpopulation of cats, which harm our native ecosystems and wildlife. So ACC has a large amount of empty space for cats on Valentine's Day, when I asked for help with my lost cat, there was only one cat up for adoption. I was just there over the weekend, tons of empty space. So while there have been studies showing that overcrowded and overwhelmed shelters may need to find alternative methods supporting cats, ACC has more than enough resources to help cats without overstretching, including a brand new facility, a thriving volunteer base, and a foster program. And as far as I've heard, ACC hasn't had to euthanize due to overcrowding in over a decade. So my question is, if ACC is going to assume all outdoor cats or own pets and recommend they be returned even to dangerous intersections without even looking at, examining, or considering the cat's background, then how are they going to fulfill their mission at San Francisco's only public shelter? Thanks so much. Thank you very much for your comments. Uh, looks like we have one more person in the queue for public comments. This is Marie. You can make a comment, please. Oh, hi, this is Maria Conlon. I um, help run the rescue, Give Me Shelter Cat Rescue. We're a partner rescue with um, SFACC. And um, we get a lot of the calls um, about these cats that ACC does not take because the people don't know what to do with the cats that they find and they don't want to return them back outside. So we get a lot of calls about, about these kind of cats. What, what can we do for them? Um, it is it is unsettling to hear that they are turning away cats like this. I mean, definitely, we know that people abandon cats. We know that people lose their cats, and a friendly or domesticated, abandoned or lost cat does not know how to survive outside. So, despite what people might think, only a cat that maybe was raised, and even then, the conditions are extremely hard and harsh with coyotes, raccoons, cars, humans, etc. So there's lots of threats to them. Um, and again, I also have recently been into ACC and there are a number of open kennels. They have state of the line, you know, state of the art equipment, medical equipment now with their with their new shelter. Um, so it's, I'd like to see like this policy or whatever it is revisited and you know, what, what can we do for the cats of San Francisco? Again, I, I hear the same story I saw it in the last commission meeting where it was mentioned that it's based on current research, but again, as Alina just said, it is not an overcrowded shelter. They're not euthanizing for behavior. They're not, or I'm sorry, euthanizing for space. Um, so there really isn't a need. We could be helping these cats. And a lot of the rescues in the area are overburdened, taking on where ACC and um, is not taking and are helping these cats. So I would love to see this as an agenda item. And I just want to clarify that I was involved with the previous item with a mom and kitten. This is not the same issue. This is a different issue. This is leaving those cats that are abandoned or lost, that are friendly and adoptable, that could find homes inside and live safely. Um, so I would love to see that as an agenda item for further discussion by the commission. Thank you. Thank you very much for your comments. Okay. Um, I see no other uh, people in the queue for public comments so we can close public comment for this item.
Okay. Uh, okay, so moving on to commission government. Thanks again, Dr. O'Neill for the report. And thank you commissioners for the discussion around the report. Um, next is uh, commission governments. Um, the commission will vote on a resolution allowing to continue meeting remotely. Uh, tonight, we're going to vote on the resolution to allow us to continue meet, to meet remotely. Uh, the resolution making findings to allow teleconference meetings under California government code section 54953E. Uh, as the resolution covers a 30 day period, this resolution we will vote on tonight will apply to tonight's meeting as well as our June meeting, which will be held on June 9th. Uh, the text of the resolution has been uploaded to our website and um, as a supporting document and also forwarded to commissioners earlier this week. Are uh, there any questions before we open it up for public comments and then vote on the resolution? Uh, Commissioner Fortier, is that an old hand? <laughs> oh, okay. sorry. That's what I figured. Okay, thank you. And let me just look up. And yeah, it looks like we don't have, it's an old hand as well um, for public comment. So it looks like we can uh, close public comment and then take the vote. Okay, when I call your name, please state yes if you're in favor of approving the resolution or no if you are not in favor. Uh, Commissioner Fortier? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Ozernoy? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Van Horn? Yes. Okay, and I as well, I am uh, voting yes in favor of approving it. So it has been approved. Okay, thank you, commissioners. Okay, moving on to agenda item number seven, items to be put on the agenda for future commission meetings. Okay, our next meeting will be held on Thursday, June 9th. This meeting will be held remotely. I uh, still have no word as far as um, when we will be back at City Hall for hybrid meetings. Uh, please reach out to me by the Friday before the next meeting with any proposed agenda items and any supporting documents. For our next meeting, that date will be Friday, May 3rd. Uh, the agenda and any supporting documents will be uploaded to our website, sfgov.org forward slash animals by the Monday evening before the meeting. So for our next meeting, that will be Monday, June 6th. Uh, next month's agenda will include ongoing reporting and sharing of news and special events from SF Animal Care and Control. Um, is there anything else right now that anyone would like to um, make mention of for next agenda? Okay, uh, if there's nothing further, we can adjourn. Okay, thank you all so much everyone for attending tonight's meeting. Thank you, thank you, Lila. It is 6.48 p.m. and we are now adjourned. Okay, good night everyone and thanks again. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you everyone.